And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are coming to you live from the super-secret underground bunker at World Headquarters, deep beneath the ground. Happy to have all of you around here with us. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me, and... The pile of boxes is growing. There are plans. We have plans and schemes. Those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, you can't see that pile. Uh, which is fine. I mean, there are some people who prefer this uh, this show as a podcast. We're on a number of different podcast platforms. <clears throat> and uh, you can listen to us there. I do... Uh, I do want to encourage you, those of you who listen to this on Sci-Fi For Me Radio, uh, to check out the video every now and again. Uh, we do have listeners from all over the world. I see pop up here on the on the map: the Philippines, Germany, UK, Canada, Australia, and South Africa, which is where our guest is from. Uh, and she's going to be joining us at the half hour. This is the way it's worked out for our. Uh, for our schedule today, for her schedule today. So Alice Krieger will be with us at the half hour. In the meantime, I'm going to vamp a little bit. I'm going to open up a box, not part of these boxes. These boxes are for later. <clears throat> and as we get closer to our 500th installment, uh, we do hope that you stick around. And yes, uh, uh, SB, thanks very much for the... Uh, signal boost there. Uh, well, that's Mazers, I think, right? Uh, I see Death Angel's Shadow in the chat. Bumper music reminds me of Command and Conquer. Stephanie Janicek is here. Uh, and yes, uh, Michelle Rezwan is out at Lucasfilm. And for those of you who do not know who she is, uh, she's been listed as an executive producer on Andor. She's been a producer, production, developer, vice president, executive type at Lucasfilm for a while. She started as an assistant to J.J. Abrams. So I'm not sure that we're losing very much for for her to be gone. Um, and yeah, YouTube is, is being a pill. YouTube is always being a pill. Uh, so we may get some uh, we may get some buffering there, which is why you should consider watching this show on Odyssey, on our Odyssey channel. And uh, <coughs> maybe we can get our numbers up over there. Right now we're sitting at 211. We're at 79 on Rumble. We need to get that number up to 100 so we can start live streaming over on Rumble if we decide to do that. So I want to encourage you to spread out a little bit more and, uh, and get on some of the other platforms as we go through this. Because you never know. YouTube might decide to shut down the live stream stuff altogether because right now the big thing is shorts. They don't like channels that go live all the time. 
You know, they want the pre-recorded stuff. I saw a conversation between Neon and that Umbrella guy over there on Twitter this morning. They were talking about the fact that every time they live stream, their channel statistics drop for a couple of days. So YouTube apparently up to shenanigans again uh, with regard to uh, making making the making creators jump through hoops to try to satisfy the almighty algorithm. So, I don't know. Anyway, so there we are. All right, so to start with, I got a vamp for about half an hour. Alice Krieger will be joining us at the half hour. Uh, Death Angel says, I want to figure out how to block shorts. Uh, you know, that would be an interesting, uh, an interesting question to ponder. I wonder... I wonder if there's anything in the YouTube settings that would let you block a particular hashtag. Because I know over on uh, on Twitter, I mean, yeah, over on Twitter, you can mute certain hashtags. So it's one of the things that people, you know, sit there and say, well, spoilers, they'll do hashtag spoilers. And so if you mute hashtag spoilers, you miss everything that's got that in there. I'm wondering if YouTube has some kind of a function that would let you do that same kind of thing. So hashtag shorts could get uh, dropped. But yeah, I, I have not found anybody, uh, at least on the creator side, uh, who has any interest, uh, any enthusiasm <clears throat> for the shorts. Anyway, because it's a, it's a blatant attempt by YouTube to capitalize on the popularity of TikTok. Oh, everybody's doing TikTok. We should do TikTok. So that's where these shorts things are coming from. And give it six months, it'll be something else. Because every every six months or so, every eight months, we get uh, we get some update to the algorithm, and then it's something new. So we're not doing shorts. I briefly consider it for about yay long. And decided it's it's it runs counter in it counter to everything that we're trying to do here as far as the master plan. So you know we're we're fully invested in the more long form programming. Uh, certainly not three or five eight hours of live streams, but you know an hour hour and a half two hours at the most to get stuff out there, and it's. I mean, we're, we're steady at least. We have regulars that keeps coming that keep coming back to our programs. So, I mean, you guys you guys are watching us and you're continuing to watch us, which means we're doing something right for somebody. So, we're just going to we're just going to keep going the way we go and hope for the best. Plan for the worst. Reality lands somewhere in the middle. Okay, 2 days ago on Monday, I got this box in our mailbox. Let's open it, shall we? And I know this is from Warner Home Video, so I'm assuming it's the new Batman DVD. Uh, let's see here. Get it up to the microphone so podcast listeners can hear a little, you know, a little, little, little ASMR such in here. Um packaging all this all this box all this box and all of this paper for this this it's a single it's a single disc blu-ray dvd ultra k you know, 4k ultra hd <clears throat> this is 
Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons. This is uh, this is the Jonathan Kent Damian Wayne movie animated movie. Um, <clears throat> ah, to be young. Let me let me read the back here. <coughs> ah, to be young and charged with saving the world from impending doom. That's the burden that eleven-year-old Jonathan Kent and reluctant young sidekick Damian Wayne face in this all-new DC animated movie. On his birthday, Jonathan Kent learns his dad is Superman and that he has latent superpowers of his own. He also meets the legendary Dark Knight and current boy wonder, Damien. But when the two boys are forced to team up to protect their loved ones from a hostile alien force, will they become the super sons they're destined to be? Uh, this is PG-13, and this is, um, it looks like it's Starro coming in uh, as the villain taking over the world. And this is this is young Jonathan. This is before this is in the before times. Uh, this is Jonathan before he uh, got aged up and uh, and turned. So uh, it I've, I've seen some good comments about it. I've seen some positive buzz. So uh, we'll add that to the pile. Maybe at some point one of these days I'll get around to doing some reviews on some stuff. So. It is what it is. Okay, a follow-up. Uh, coming up on Friday, possibly. I'm not sure yet. We, we're tentatively scheduled on this. Uh, I think Judah Engelmeyer will be here to talk about the aftermath of the G4 TV meltdown because we'll take a look at some of the different social media posts that have come in the wake of the news that G4 TV was gone. Um, you know, Frost has has thrown the network and the executives and everybody else under the bus. Adam Sessler has got some things to say. And Melanie Mack drew some fire this morning, she, or yesterday, today, sometime, where she was basically saying, hey, I feel bad for everybody. I hope they land on their feet and, and find work at other places. And somebody, apparently a video editor at G4, former Video editor at G4 is like, keep her name out of your mouth. Yeah, can't be too bad. And it's like, excuse me, wait a minute. He did. She didn't even mention you. <coughs> and yet, here you go off attacking a woman, mansplaining to her why you don't need her sympathy, doing exactly what it was, what Frost was complaining about. And here you are, living an example of it, and the... The replies have been rather choice, I'll say that. I mean, he's, he's getting roasted on, in the replies on that. So that is, uh, that is something we're going to be talking about on Friday. Uh, on the 28th, next Friday, not, not this coming Friday, but Friday a week from now, uh, Michael Shapiro will be here talking about uh, the new project he's got. He has composed new music for the silent picture version of Frankenstein, and we're going to be talking about that. And I've got a number of others uh, that are sitting out here, and uh, we're waiting to get uh, schedules done and confirmations done. Like I said, this show is much better, at least for me. It's much better when we have guests. It's uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I I can I can go for an hour. And I hear, I hear you. I hear you over there. Yeah. I can go for an hour 
fairly easily. I mean, I am a professionally trained broadcaster. 30, I, 34 years. 34 years in the media. I kind of know. I, I know a little bit about how the sausage is made. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> Believe me. <coughs> but I also can confirm that there are some people in the media who are maybe not as objective as they purport to be. I don't know. I could be talking through my hat. Anywho, uh, yeah, Mel- Melanie's Melanie's got a good channel. She's got a she's got an interesting perspective on things. She is a a practicing and professing Christian. She brings that perspective to things that she's doing. Uh, in addition to that, she eats sticks of butter. So you know, I what what are you gonna do with that? Uh, it's it's part of the the keto carnivore diet that she's a, a big a big advocate of. So I'm not sure how I came across her channel either. Um, it, po- it probably was popping up in some kind of a mention. But everybody, everybody has been talking about this G4 thing all week. I know that they, they talked about it on Simpcast Sunday night. Um, Midnight's Edge has talked about it. I think um, I think the quarter, quartering's done a few videos on it already. Neon and, and Geeky Sparkles over at Clownfish TV. Uh, yeah, it's just it just is one of those things. Where you, okay, everybody's got to talk about it because that's what ha- what's happening. So, uh, so we're going to look at it from a PR from a crisis PR standpoint because Judah Engelmeyer is the president of Herald PR and they specialize in crisis communications. So we're going to try to get him on. I've got an invitation out to Paul DeGarabidian uh, from from Comscore to also maybe be part of that conversation and maybe culture casino if he can make it uh so that's going on here we've also got coming up on the show at some point uh bruce McAllister is going to be here to talk about a new anthology they're working on uh harry glorickian will be here on the second to talk about uh wearable tech and how ai can help in your pursuit of a healthy lifestyle <clears throat> i don't know we'll see uh and i've got some other stuff we're still trying to figure out a schedule for Royal Coupe to join us, but I want to uh, just kind of give you a heads up and let you know some of the things that are coming up here as we get closer to episode 500, which if the schedule holds and I don't get sick, which could very well happen in the next few days, uh, then we're looking at around December 30th for number 500, at which point I'm hoping... Then we're going to have some news, some announcements, and some plans to reveal. And this this pile of boxes might be a little bit part of that. You never know. All right, so um, what else is going on in the news? Uh, let's see, we got, uh, <clears throat> we got Harrison Ford joining, officially now joining the, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe to play Thunderbolt Ross. We have Ezra Miller pleading not guilty and released on his own recognizance in regard to that burglary charge up in, in Vermont. Now, check me on this. Because I'm reading the articles about this, and apparently Ezra Miller stole three bottles of liquor. Three. Three. Three bottles of liquor, allegedly. And 
Because of that, the charges that are connected to that, he's facing 26 years, up to 26 years in prison, and $2,000 or more in fines for three bottles of liquor. Now, could we get some prosecutors to maybe think about pushing for some harder penalties for some worse crimes that people commit? I mean, maybe it's just me, but 26 years for stealing three bottles of liquor kind of seems a little disproportionate when you got all of these people out here rioting and burning down things. And mostly peaceful but fiery protests. I'm just... I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. And no, Mrs. Boss, uh, we are not going to be doing any kind of search for butter, butter consumption. Uh, no, that's not how I found her. That is not how I found her. She didn't start the butter thing. Melanie didn't start the butter thing until uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it, it became a thing. I don't know, but uh, she's, she's made it. A, she's made it part of her shtick, as it were. Sorry, I had to. All right, my finger is uh, poised over the cough button because I mentioned the possibility I'm getting sick. It it, it appears, it feels like, uh, given where we're rolling over into the time of year, uh, uh, this is about time when I get my usual bout of sinusitis and or bronchitis. And right now, it feels like both of them are coming uh, to the four at the same time. So, um, yes, Death Angel Shadow, she is eating the stick of butter all by itself as a snack. It's part of her, it's part of her keto, uh, keto carnivore, uh, combination diet. And, um, I guess it's a, well, there's a, there's a thing that went around here about, what was that, three, was it three years ago? The, the butter and the coffee? Because we had been looking at that, because the CW, uh, a lot of the actors over on the CW superhero shows, suddenly started doing doing a bunch of things with this new coffee company, and I can't remember the name of it. But uh, this is a thing, apparently. <coughs> Excuse me. Where if you put butter in coffee, it uh, it activates something in the metabolism to accelerate the fat burning. Uh, apparently, this is a this is a dietary thing that's been studied, and uh, the whole eating the stick of butter thing is kind of the same the, along those same lines. Where and it's not the fake stuff. It's not the fake butter. Uh, you know the 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 spread the vegetable spread the margarine or anything like that. So I'm talking about real butter. And putting that into the coffee apparently accelerates uh, fat burning enzymes or something. There's some there's something that's supposed to be health benefit in all of this, and it was it was the craze for a little while there. And I don't remember the name of it. I don't know. Maybe we should suggest to Jeremy over the quartering he needs to do a butter coffee, um, possibly, maybe coffee brand coffee promo code. Promo code FROSK, right? Maybe. 
I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't done a study on it. I don't know. I mean, I I looked into it a little bit at the time, and it seemed like there is some some documentation. There is some uh, some there's something to it. I don't know exactly uh, exactly what it is, but anyway, that's what we've got going there. All right, so <coughs> I apologize for for. Uh, being all goopy here, but uh, we'll 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 muddle through. We will muddle through. Now, uh, while we're waiting for uh, for Alice Krieger to show up uh, and be here, if you want to, let me let me encourage you to, right now, right now, go over to Twitter or any of the other social media platforms and find where we've posted the link to this show and blast it out to your people and say, "Hey, we're about to start talking to the." Borg Queen. I mean, we're not going to talk about that to start with. I'm sure that will come up. Uh, but it uh, it is uh, just around the corner. Um, and at some point here in the future, uh, we're going to be talking... Uh, Christopher Hoffman was up in Oregon, and we're not going to talk about it today, but his his trip up to Oregon was was fairly interesting. So we'll we'll probably talk about that. I may give him a full hour and just let him go on that and other things. Uh, you you know him from the Vault of the Killer Bees and uh, and other programs that we've got here. <coughs> things are going to uh, things are going to expand a little bit, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be doing some stuff. We're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing some stuff here. So. Uh, let me, let me see here. Oh, so Chris, Christopher is standing by. Let me, let me go ahead and pull him in. Good afternoon, sir. Oh, wait, let me, let me unmute. Hold on, I gotta unmute, I gotta unmute. There you are. All right, <laughs> we should be able to hear you now. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, uh, give us, give us a little bit of a tease about your trip to Oregon. I, I may actually do that. I may actually give you a full hour sometime in the next couple of weeks and you can talk about that and some other stuff that you saw up there. Okay, certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, actually, I uh, ended up uh, getting into a little bit of an accident. Um, okay, hold on. I am trying to do my hair based on <laughs> OBS. And it, it ain't working. It looks fine. You don't have to worry about it. It's fine. There we go. Yeah, uh, got just, a little it, mad just, it just makes you look makes you look a little angrier. That's all. Yeah, there we go. And that, no, um, I ended up going to a. Uh, it was really quite tasty. Um, a ice cream parlor called uh, Salt and Straw, and they do homemade ice creams. And uh, it was a crowded Saturday night, and I was trying to make my way through the crowd because. Apparently, Oregonians hang out at ice cream parlors, uh, uh, along with you know bars and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I got tripped, and so that's why you may see a little bit of black eyes and that sort of thing. But um, the ice cream parlor itself um, was really, really interesting. It had a lot of great, uh, I mean, homemade ice creams as well as culinary perfumes and that, so if you wanted to um smell like a waffle cone you could but you could also add a culinary perfume to your selection of homemade ice cream 
uh, if you wanted that extra sort of little kick. See, I'm hearing you talk about this, and we were talking about this last night, and and culinary perfume, those two words just don't belong together in any, well, I can, no, those two words don't belong anywhere together because that just conjures up less than PG-13 images that I'd really cared not to contemplate, but... Oh, okay, just, wait a second. Just, are, you, are you talking about, like, the uh, the different uh, sort of um, not-safe-for-work... Yeah, Close. I'm like I I don't I don't yeah. think I don't think any cul culinary what was it culinary yeah uh, cool, uh yeah culinary perfume cul cul culinary perfume yeah I'm like uh, okay don't know that that's a really uh, a thing for me but even more so than that you were telling us about the 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 sample that you had oh yes <laughs> um because it's the spooky season they've got a selection of different uh sort of homemade ice cream to celebrate sort of Halloween and, and autumn. And they also had a, uh, they have a, a pumpkin bread with um, cheesecake ice cream that sounded really, really good. They had like a black cat, black or licorice uh, tinged ice cream, but they also had a uh, uh, bug-tastic, creepy crawler ice cream which i thought would be filled with gummy worms and you know sort of little chocolatey chips that sort of thing well it does turn out that it was filled with worms but the real kind actually <laughs> mealworms chocolate covered mealworms and crickets and ants in a matcha green tea ice cream um, See now, this is this is the of kind course. of stuff you you hear about this with regard to the World Economic Forum and the New World Order, and you won't you you will own nothing and be happy and all this. And and we're getting these we're getting these bug supplements in various different pieces of food around the world. I'm thinking, oh well, not, but uh, upon further reflection, given the fact that you were in Oregon finding all of this stuff, it doesn't surprise me at all. That this kind of stuff is going on over on the left coast. So, so uh, well, I mean, I just, you yeah. know, I, I did, I did uh, screw up enough courage to try a sample. Um, I thought the sample was going to be like the little sort of half teaspoon things that you usually get, at like you know, Baskin Robbins or yeah. something. But it turns out, no, it was like a full <clears throat> teaspoon on the stuff. Um, and so, yes, I tried it. It was actually okay it had the consistency of sort of like raw oatmeal um that is until i found a uh, a cricket wing and it was like oh this is quite chewy it kind of seems like a uh, a peanut skin and then i oh you know five oh. six years ago this kind of stuff would get a restaurant sued yeah you know, I mean, this is this is why we have those warnings on the coffee cups at McDonald's now. Contents could be hot, right? You know, it's because oh, somebody's yes. dumb enough to, to, you know, not be careful. I just, just not for me, just not for me. I, I'm just, yeah, you know, you, it was, it was kind of okay until you got to the wing, and then I thought, nope, I just, I'm not even, not even gonna contemplate a sample. Uh, oh yeah, but uh, 
Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. So yeah. So uh, we will. We will. We'll talk about. We'll schedule a time here. I'll let you. I'll let you fill in. Especially given the fact that it's very possible that once this bronchitis hits, I don't have a voice. So we will. Uh, we will plan. We will plan for that. And, uh, and um, Jason, I, I was. I was this close from getting you a a, a bug fortune cookie. Uh, from the peculiarium, <laughs> and that so it was uh, short. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not. I'm not contagious over the over the over the internet uh, for yeah. anybody who's worried. Uh, not that I'm aware of, no. but uh, it was a shortbread cookie filled with bugs, and inside the middle of it, much like a um, sort of uh, cursed king cake yeah. was a fortune from the peculiarium see this is uh you know death angels talks about watching people eat this on tv this was fear factor this was the big draw for fear factor right it was just just mm -hmm. uh, and yes awesome with technically uh, a, a percentage of food in factories contained insects already like i said i i've i've it's you don't want to know how the sausage is made um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't just apply to the media. It applies to a lot of other things. So, uh, it is, um, interesting to see some of that behind the scenes stuff. And then you sit there and think, well, I don't, I didn't want to see that. Thank you very much. So anyway, all right. So let me, let me do this. I'm going to pull this up here. Where are we at? Um, Sometime you'll you'll have to show the uh, uh, the audience and describe to the audience the uh, the uh, lovely Sasquatch poster I <laughs> where is I it? found for you. Where is that Sasquatch poster? It's, oh, it's it's over here. Let me let me. Oh, do you want mine? Do you want you want mine? Yeah, yeah. You can bring yours over here, or, unless you want to show it. Over there where you're at. So we've got this. Ah. Sasquatch. Uh, fully armed and uh, an operational Sasquatch there. That's uh, that. This is this is kind of this is a fun, a fun little bit. I think it's a perfect depiction of Mr. Boss. Oh. Get back to work. <clears throat> and then the other one there, <coughs> rabbits, rabbits with jet packs. I am that cute. Yeah, go, go get back to work. All right, so Rumble, we're up to eighty. So we we picked one up. So good to have everybody there. We're we're again crawling to uh, to one hundred. Because we need to get to 100 uh, before we can do anything else. So, uh, we're sitting at still at 211 <coughs> on Odyssey. <coughs> All right. Uh, Death Angel said, imagine if you had a bowcaster. Well, I, my, the, the, skulls, the skulls on the belt had me thinking about Predator. Uh, you know, carrying the trophies and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, those are, those, are, those are fun pieces of artwork. And, see, that's the kind of thing where... If we had the print magazine going, we could do we could feature and highlight stuff like that, 
you know, we could talk to different different artists and we could do some some kind of a fun thing for that for for cover art maybe. I don't know. It's 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 worth a it's worth a discussion. It's worth a think. All right. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, I mentioned on on Monday uh, the uh, the Atari stuff, <coughs> and I mentioned I had a couple of uh, a couple of game cartridges that weren't working, and I and I, I I figured out what they were. One of them here we talked about Pitfall. Pitfall is one of them. This is the Activision Indiana Jones uh, knockoff game, which was kind of fun actually. The other one that doesn't work is Zaxxon. I'm really disappointed that this one wasn't working. This is a Coleco cartridges uh, for the uh, Atari 2600. So those those are the two games that don't work, at least for now. I don't know. I might be able to salvage them still. But everything else still works. Asteroids, Pac-Man, or Ms. Pac-Man. I got one of the others. I can't remember. Um, so, yeah. Pitfall, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Pitfall. <clears throat> and of course, we've got ET over there. And if I can, if I can figure out how to get it connected to our Twitch channel, uh, we could stream some ET. Um, I just got to figure out how to do it because the the cable, the way the way the box works, it's it's kind of one of these. It's 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 an RCA plug, but it doesn't. Um, it's got video and audio in the RCA, so I got I got to figure out how to pull that from. I may I may just have to shoot it with a camera and put a camera up against the TV and and do it that way and and call it solved. Do it old school, you know, a very very local access cable type of setup there, right? And not get too sophisticated. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. It's it's. It's a work in progress. It's one of those things where, uh, where we're, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out, and we'll we'll get there. So let me check here on the email and see. Double check and make sure that we're all set. Uh, da, 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 da. Wait, what? <clears throat> No, that's not. Hey, I got an email. <clears throat> I got an email here. New order receipt. Dear Jason Hunt, thank you for purchasing our premium Defender services. The charges $349.85 will appear into your account next 12 hours. Find the attachment of your invoice. Um, yeah, I'm not clicking on that. <laughs> I, I just, people, people need to be a little smarter than that, you know? What was that? No, I'm agreeing. Oh, okay. Because that sounded like a, that sounded like a smart aleck <coughs> instead of a agreeing. <coughs> oh, no camera. <laughs> what? Oh, Okay. Here she comes. Oh, hush. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because I have received... Okay, maybe you can do camera for a second. Let me see if I can find it first. Um, um, 
because you know how much we have memes. Mm-hmm. I love memes. You know, you're leaning into your lower third there, right? Oh, I'm not looking. And I know, not the proper place, but I'm not moving my seat either. <coughs> oh, here we go. I mean, I could send this to you. No, that's okay. Just And then you can do it. Well, no, it's kind of <coughs> funny. It's genre, but it has to do with this as well, what you were saying. So I'm sending it to you in Facebook. I'm not in Facebook. Okay, well, I can send it to you another way. It's a Facebook post. Okay, fine. I'll do it this way. Because I won't be able to get to it because I'm in the I'm in the page account. I'm not in my personal account. Okay, well, then hold on. Give me a second. I'm sending it to you the other way. Look for R2. Well, let's see here. There it goes. Uh, now I've got to figure out how to get it into other things. Okay, so here. <coughs> All right. This? Is this what you're talking about here? Yes. A common mistake is this, is a, this apparently... Oh, this is, a, this is a still from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. A yes, common see? mistake that people make when trying to design something completely foolproof is to underestimate the ingenuity of fools. Truer words have never been spoken. And see, I, and since it's Hitchhiker's Guide... Still genre based. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and you know, <coughs> what was what was that line from that line from uh, Star Trek Three? You know what Scotty says. You know, the more they overthink the drain, the easier it is to stop up the plumbing. Yes. So, or no, they over, the the more they overthink the plumbing, the easier it is to stop up the drain. Yep. <coughs> so. Pretty much. Uh, Death Angel. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure that I'm I'm uh, this is something here. Uh, Death Angel says our internal IT department likes to send fake phishing emails out it's to true. test us. Okay, so with uh, my job, they do the same thing. Now, most of the time, when I get anything that's not from anybody that I know, you know, within my job, yeah, and then I just automatically delete it. I don't even think and. Then we get yelled at because we didn't go and click the fishing tab. Because there's a, there's a little tab on our email that has a picture of a fish that we're supposed to click when it comes through. And I'm like, I'm just not going to open it. Because opening mm -hmm. could cause issues. <coughs> right. So just delete it and move on with life. So whatever. Well, and we get we get occasional, uh, you know, uh, awesome one sits here and says, I somehow get e uh, get emails where the title is a person I know, the email address are not from friends. Google won't show the address until you compose. Be careful. That that's another thing because some of these some of these have gotten very sophisticated, where you know I'll get I'll get the fake uh, the fake uh, phishing emails from PayPal, quote unquote, or eBay. Or you know some other thing where I've I've legitimately done business. I've legitimately had communications with this uh, this entity or person or whatnot, and this will come in and it'll look perfectly legitimate. Now, one thing that you can do, yeah, check the check the from email address because a lot of times that's not going to look right. And the other thing you do. <coughs> if there are any places in the email where it says click here to see the invoice or click here to see your receipt or whatever, click here to respond to the complaint. 
if you roll the mouse over that link without clicking it, uh, it will give you a pop-up that says where it's going to go. And 99.9% .9 of the time, you can tell this is a little hinky. Don't click on it. Well, you so. keep sending me emails saying, hey, I think you might know these guys in this picture. Seriously? Seriously. You keep, you keep getting those? I've got, right, well, I've the first one I blocked, somewhere. the first one I've blocked, the <coughs> second one I've blocked, but yeah, I've gotten two of those now. All right, so somewhere, somewhere, uh, somehow, uh, somebody's gotten a hold of something that they shouldn't all get a hold of, so I guess that means I'm going to have to, was that, what was that through? Email or Facebook or where? Email. Uh, means I'm probably going to have to change my email password again. Ugh. The older I get, the more appealing Cabin in, Cabin in the Woods. And I'm telling you right now, Cabin in the Woods sounds pretty good. Not Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods. Not the, right. not the movie Cabin in the Woods. Um, but the, the technology is such that I just... It's, it's going to be an interesting conversation that I'm going to have with Harry Glorickian because he's a big advocate of using AI to advance health measures and you know you could have all of this stuff i'm like i don't i don't want to be a borg i i don't i don't know exactly what he's got in mind but you know dev using devices to monitor i mean how many people have the apple watch and it monitors your your heart rate and your blood pressure and how many steps you take and all this stuff and i'm thinking i don't want that in my life i the the older i get the less confident i am in machine learning and artificial intelligence i just don't want to have anything to do with it at all because it's taking over way too much all right we're going to take a real quick break we will be back alice krieger joins us next stand by our transmitters are made from hand wavium this is sci-fi for me radio Oh my goodness, that, Jason, is probably, I think, the hardest question you're going to ask. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. That's a good question, though. That's an interesting question. Question. That's a great question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Um, it's another great question. These are all really good questions. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. We are back live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here in the studio, along with our one of our horror contributors, Christopher Hoffman, and we have with us now as our special guest, uh, actress, writer, producer, Alice Krieger joins us. Most of you know her as the Borg Queen, but we're not going to talk about that yet. She's got a new movie that we're going to talk about. It is um, a... I guess what would you what would you call it a supernatural supernatural psychological horror thriller uh, something? I mean, there's, there's a lot to this. 
the the director Charlotte Colbert, I think, came up with a perfect kind of description, as it were, a modern fairy tale, or a folk tale, because exactly as you say, it is um, a psychological thriller, psychological drama. There's there's an element of horror in that. She's gone through some really traumatic experiences mm -hmm. in her life. And so there's like an inner landscape of horror. And there is the supernatural. So it's it's really like a fairy tale in a way, a modern fairy tale in the sense of grim fairy tales. Right. I was about to say, because you're you're not Cinderella. <laughs> your, your classic your classic fairy tales are much different from your Disney fairy tales, because those uh, those ancient stories, the real ones are rather dark and, uh, and, and pardon the pun grim. But, you know, they're they're cautionary tales more than they are anything else. And you've got an element of this in in this in this movie that's uh, it's called She Will, and uh, here's the here's the poster there that's out there now, which invokes quite a bit of of imagery here that kind of makes you wonder what this movie is going to be about because with the psychological aspects of this, you know, you're you're playing a character who's recovering from uh, a double mastectomy. She's she's in Scotland. She's going to this retreat to recover her health. And you're in an area where uh, witches were burned back in the day. And so there's some historical piece to this. And then the supernatural aspect of it where the spirits of those witches start to come into play. So Reader's Digest version here. How? What exactly is this movie about? Because I've seen a number of different descriptions, and you've said it's about redemption, but there's other things at play here too. That's a very. It, you can't just pin down one particular idea on this thing. Well, what I loved about it was exactly how many sort of strands of of imagery and story the the film contains because the, the i suppose the central thrust of it the central arc is the story of this woman who when we meet her has just had a double mastectomy but um equally shockingly she sees on television that a man who molested her when she was a child actress, she was 14, um, something that's never been spoken about, been pushed under the carpet, but that created lasting trauma in her life. Right. She's never really had a relationship that worked. She hasn't had children. Um, she's grown more angry and more bitter and more withdrawn. Um, as the years have gone by. Anyway, she's about to leave for, to recuperate in Scotland when she discovers that he's about to remake the movie. And not only that, he's about to be knighted. So there is this image of him on the television, the night or the week before he's to be knighted with this queue of little 14-year-old girls lining up to be auditioned. And she is overcome with 
grief and anger. And anyway, she sets off to Scotland and she's obliged by her insurance company to take a young nurse along. Now, this is one of the aspects of the story that moved me so much. And this is where what 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 makes me describe it as a as a tale of redemption she is so angry and so difficult and so frankly unpleasant and this one young woman has gone through her own trauma as a child um but the way she deals with it is to reach out and help other people she becomes a nurse she becomes someone who cares with great compassion for those who are wounded or ill. And with great patience, Desi, the nurse, just hangs in there and rolls with the insults and rolls with the bad temper and the anger. And slowly, by degrees, Veronica learns to have trust in her. And Veronica learns that love is perhaps possible. Um, that faith in another human being is possible. Um, so it is actually ultimately a story of redemption um, for me. Um, but it's very, very complex because on, on many levels, it is a kind of Me Too movie. But for me, it was never about revenge. It was about wanting him, Hathborn, the director, to have the courage to tell the truth of what happened. And Hathborn, so, Hathborn is played by Malcolm McDowell. Get a wonderful performance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and it then you have, uh, you have Rupert Everett uh, also in this. He's, he's in charge of the retreat where, uh, where Veronica goes, I, I understand. And and you uh, you and Rupert were classmates, is, is that right? Do we I were, have that right? We were we were in the same class at acting school, and that was uh, dare I say it, forty two years ago. <laughs> and we had not seen each other since. And in fact, we never acted in the same piece at acting school. This is the first time that we ever actually were on screen together, and it was such a delight. He's a very, very witty, funny, dry sense of humor. Very, very, very delightful soul, and a wonderful actor. Let me let me let me circle back to your your school days because you did not set out all those years ago to start acting. It, you're, you were studying psychology. You were going to follow in your, in your mother's footsteps at one point. I mean, there was dance as an option. Uh, you were studying psychology. And then to, to clear up a, a, an elective course credit, I think, is when you signed up for the drama school. I guess the bug bit you there. And here you are all these years later uh, with a, a phenomenal career, but when you approach these characters, like like with with Veronica, who is dealing with psychological trauma on top of the physical stuff and, and, you know, recovering from surgery and things, do you ever find with the characters that you play that you draw on that psychology education and and your your parents being doctors in the in medical and. And, and pulling any of that in when you tr when you 
start to inhabit these characters? Are you pulling from any of that education in your background? I, 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 without question, I am. I, I was very, very lucky because my, my mum trained as a, as a social worker. Um, and then when she had my eldest brother, she started to run my father's medical practice so she could stay home with us. And when, then I had another brother and then I was born. And then when I was 13, we moved to a city that had a university with a very new young drama, I mean, psychology department. And my mother decided to go back to uni and study psychology. And she was obviously, she was a mature student. She was a very smart woman um, and she worked her socks off. And she was very lucky that as she finished her, her, her degree, so she did a, a post-grad degree in psychology, um, a professor arrived from the Meninga Clinic. He'd spent 10 years in America and studied with remarkable people like Murray Bowen, who was a very, very great American psychologist, um, with many people. And he came back all fired up to teach. And my mother was the only postgraduate student in this very new faculty. And he got, she got the full sort of flush of his passion and enthusiasm for his subject. And she wanted to be a clinical therapist. And so she, I was 13, I was 14 going on 15. And she would come home at night um, and she was seeing patients, um, you know, under supervision all day, every day, as well as writing a thesis. But she would come home and she would talk about the dynamic of, of the family or the, 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 the perceived patient in relation to the family, obviously never naming names, but it was all about family process and, and behavior and interaction between people and I kind of I must have just kind of sucked it in I must have just absorbed it like a sponge because it's the same subject matter it's the human psyche right. the, the inner landscape and people in connection and in reaction in re relation to each other um, but I was absolutely fascinated by it um, and went to university intending to be a clinical psychologist. Um, and essentially it's the same subject matter, but I think I came to the conclusion that if I was acting, I would be using every capacity that I had to explore the human condition. Whereas it wouldn't be the same if I was a psychologist. And actually, I'm, I'm very grateful that I never put myself in the position where, where I was not exactly telling people how to behave, but suggesting how they might or how they might solve their problems. I'm very, very glad that I never was in that situation because um, at this point in my life, I think how would I have the arrogance or the nerve or the whatever to 
tell people about their own life. Do, do you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, my mother helped so many people and people came to her because they knew that she'd helped other people. But but that was who she was. She was a helper and a caretaker. And I think she made a much better psychologist than I ever would have. Uh, and now it's interesting that, that you that you approach it that way because uh, Christopher and I were talking before the show started um, and he's he's noticed and, and Christopher I'll let you jump in here on this with this because you're you've you've started watching the film I have not had a chance to see it yet but you you notice the the idea of masks the idea of of hmm. the facade uh, at the beginning of the film why, why don't you why don't you talk about that for just a second uh, yes hi. Um, there was a, a great line um, that I'm probably going to uh, butcher and paraphrasing, but it was in the first uh, couple of minutes of the film while you're um, applying your, your makeup in front of the uh, stage mirror about masks and layers. And um, given uh, from what you just uh, spoke about um, with... Uh, your study of psychology and how that tied in to what your your mother was doing i find it very interesting in your portrayal of veronica that um she begins with sort of a what you would say is like kind of a typical um kind of diva-esque maybe um a little bit of a hint of a, a joan crawford <laughs> um yeah, exactly. kind of uh overbearing um commanding actress um but then later on we see through the development of the story just the how that is basically like a wall that she has built up because of the trauma that she has endured and um it's really just pushing away the people and um the the young nurse in the film Oh, golly, I, I, I think if I think in reality, if I were that nurse within the first five minutes, I, I would I would kind of be looking for a way out in that. But um, it is a uh, she does a wonderful sort of caring and nurturing performance um, with with your character um, now with that sort of diva-esque performance that you're giving at the beginning of the film. Um, how easy was it to kind of like sort of break down the walls slowly during the movie um, as it progressed? Was it, um, was it something that you had like made notes of in the script or... Well, uh, it was, it, of course, we didn't shoot, just just to speak to uh, Kota Eberhardt's performance, I think it's beautiful. Oh, it's it is. so delicate and so, imp her performance is almost imperceptible, the way it develops. You, mm -hmm. you, full, you fully understand how remarkable it is at the end when you look back on on what she accomplishes as an actress with with extraordinary delicacy i, I mean it's it's a masterly performance i think um but to to speak to the whole question of of masks you're quite right she says at the beginning 
as she is putting on her makeup. Um, this mask is about preservation. And she believes that this is the way, the only way she can survive by building an impenetrable um, wall, which is this persona of the diva. But so we didn't shoot in, in chronological order. Um, and, and the director who also was a co-writer and who, who brings an extraordinary sensibility to the film because she is actually a fine artist in her own right. And she has used her art to explore trauma that in, a, in her own life. I mean, we all experience trauma one way or another at one point or another. I think it's part of being human. I think it's part of the human condition. Um, and, and she has um, delved into experiences in her life that were traumatic or hurtful using her art. And, and she brings that process and sensibility, I think, to the film, which is what makes it quite unusual. Also, her visual sensibility, which she pairs with Jamie Ramsey, the cinematographer who is very, very gifted, I think. The two of them together, I, th I think, created something very powerful visually that is as much part of the storytelling as the actual events and the plot line. Um, so we, I didn't have a whole load of prep time. I think I had about three weeks, four at the most. And I was already in pre-production producing a play that I started to rehearse the day after I wrapped um, She Will. So it was, I, I was doing two things at the same time. Um, but we talked about it a lot and we we formed a, a really um, easy bond and, and a very open channel of communication so that we were constantly, I love it when a director talks to me and just, just gives me feedback about what they're seeing, what, what they're getting. Um, and she was totally up for that. So there was this constant back and forth between us. Um, and also, I, I habitually go into a project and on, by the time I get there to start shooting, I know it. It's the, it's the only way. I, different people work different ways. I know it. I'm word perfect from day one. I have to know it. And you only get word perfect when you reach the point at which there is... You, you have so understood the underlying content and dynamic, even if what underlies the lines is a complete opposite of what the words say, if what you're feeling is something completely different to what you're saying, you, you, you have to know the deep sort of kind of substrata of what's happening so that those are the only words you could possibly say. There's nothing else you could say. Um, so, so I, I start, that's my starting point. Um, and then day by day, what you intended changes because you're working with other people.
and what you had in your head sitting in your hotel room with your script is not necessarily at all what happens in the heat of the moment and the exchange between you and 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 Kota, for example, or or Charlotte or Jamie or just the sheer circumstance, the the one of the other elements of the film that is very unusual is how powerfully Charlotte explores nature and the cosmos. This is, you, you are overwhelmed by the vastness of the night sky. And she cuts between the macrocosm and the microcosm and how the, 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 the cosmos and all the nebula are actually reflected inside the cells of our bodies. Um, so so she, she creates a universe in the film whereby you've got heaven, earth, and the humankind in between, and, and they all interweave and interact and tell the story. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very complex, and I'm getting lost now as to, as to what I was saying. <laughs> but it was about, it was about um, what was it about? <laughs> Um, I I did notice in the film um, uh, uh, particularly with like the production design um, especially in the uh, in the retreat there are a lot of like sort of dark brown sort of wooden kind of earthy colors in there and um, that to me expressed that it could either be um, looked at as sort of maybe a constricting um, sort of uh, thing, kind of like burying you in, or um, kind of nurturing you, sort of like allowing you to get back to the earth. And there was a lot of water symbolism mixed with fire, and both of those could be considered sort of like cleansing elements, um, as well as destructive. It was just really a great uh, use of like all sorts of different kind of earth elemental symbolism um you 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 got the whole picture you charlotte would love to talk to you because you i think everything that she was feeding in and and like stirring a great pot of soup or something or a stew that's all in there and she uses it all to tell the story absolutely fire earth water um and and she is both at the beginning she does indeed feel entombed encased trapped mm-hmm. and ultimately it becomes um a force for transformation and and liberation let me ask you uh, with regard to your approach to characters um there there have been i've i've looked at some other interviews talking about the fact that you've done a, a lot of horror, you've done a lot of supernatural type of, of things, you've done a, a lot of period pieces, and as you go through uh, all of these different projects, you've said that you don't necessarily look at the genre of the story so much as what this character is about. So you're you're looking more at what do I what do I bring to this? What can I do with this character as opposed to, oh, 
I need to do uh, I need to do six horror films this year. You know, it, you, it's not it's not like you're looking specifically at, you know, thriller, crime, drama, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, or anything like that. Do you have a a specific set of criteria when you're when you're considering a role? How do you measure? Okay, this is something that I'm interested in doing or not. Um, well, there are there are a couple of things. There's also there is the um, necessity of earning a living, which <laughs> applies sure. all the time. Sure. In fact, um, but but I'm I am genuinely interested in in the challenge and the the puzzle of being a human being of being in this dimension in this reality um in this physical realm with other people and 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 the planet it's i'm enormously fascinated by the human psyche, and and also all the influences on it. Um, amongst other things, I actually study Vedic astrology. For one character, I actually had her, she was a real person. I had her birth chart done. She's no longer alive, but I actually had her birth chart, her whole life chart done and used it as a tool in, in playing the role. So you can come at it so many ways. Um, but mostly, I'm I'm interested in the journey of the character, and also what I can learn. Um, because if I understand something in playing a role, if there's a moment of a sort of epiphany, if I understand something about being alive that I haven't really understood before because you are asked to live someone else's reality right. i'm not up there being me i'm i'm using every means that i have creatively to to live another person's experience and if i understand something in that process then there's just the slightest chance that someone in the audience might understand something too that they hadn't understood about being human um so you know and then also the truth is one is sometimes totally taken by surprise i was offered um mama mac in the most recent version of the chainsaw massacre i would never have imagined myself um, taking that being in one of the pictures of that franchise. Um, but I, I, it was the middle of the pandemic. I didn't know if I'd ever work again. I was offered it and I, and I wound up doing it. And there was something about those three scenes that affected me so deeply. I felt so bad for this woman who was doing the best she can. She was an inadvertent racist. Um, 
completely out of touch with the modern world, um, totally out of her depth, completely lost, um, this old sick lady. And I just felt, I had no idea I would feel so much for this role, for this woman. But there it was, it just, just happened. Um, I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, but there, there it was. It, it was a, 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 an experience that really touched me very deeply. I was very grateful to be gone before the killing started. <laughs> well, was, she moved me. Well, um, and you've said that uh, empathy plays into a lot. I mean, and I would imagine that for actors in general, if you have trouble empathizing with your character, not necessarily identifying with the character, but at least understanding to a certain extent their point of view, because the villain is the hero of his own story, that type of thing. If you if you don't have that that slight connection to a to a character, it makes it more difficult to play that part, I would imagine, yeah. I, I would I, I couldn't imagine playing it if I could not if I were judging a character, there's no way I could play the character. Yeah. I, 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 there is, there is a, there is a principle in clinical therapy of what's called unconditional positive regard, so that you come to whoever is has come to work, you know, has come to ask for 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 family therapy or personal therapy or whatever. You, you as a therapist approach them with unconditional positive regard and that is how I come to every character every role that I accept I uh, there's absolutely no judgment on my part my task is literally to walk in their shoes it sounds like a cliche but um, it's amazing how it's expanded my understanding. You know, I, I have played two characters who were caught up in, in the Holocaust in World War II. Now, you can read about it in a book, but to actually, as it were, and, and I don't mean in any way to, uh, to suggest that I approached what those people endured, but you, imaginatively live as much as you can in that moment. Right. Um, it just changed who I was as a person. So I, I, at this point in my life, I am, even if I never were to work again, I am so grateful for the number of lives I've, imagined my way into because i i hope it has made made me a more compassionate empathetic human being well and and speaking of that you have you have a role in your in your past that i think it would probably be a little bit of a challenge to come up with any kind of positive regard and that's that's the board queen uh which is it you know i mean you have to get in you have to get in the head of this of this character and 
you know, pretty much defined the part. And I know Susanna Thompson played the character for a while, and then you came back and played her again in the in the finale of Voyager. But uh, then you're back here for Lower Decks playing the Borg Queen again. How, did you ever expect to come back to this part out of all of the different things that you've done? No. No, not at all. No, not at all. Um, I, I, I really, um, I have never, I would love actually to meet the actual creators again, like Brandon Braga, who wrote the script, um, well, Brandon Braga, because I, I frequently wonder every time I'm asked about the character, if they understood how iconic she was or would be once she was inhabited um that that they had written an archetype a, a kind of receptacle for people's projections of what they found kind of terrifying mm -hmm. um whether she was emblematic of of mechanization or um a morality or whatever, um, but but the, the the character I think created such dissonance in the viewer that people never quite get closure with the Borg Queen. Right, it's she's like a worm in their brain. Um, <laughs> she's a brain worm, and I don't know if they knew that she was just gonna keep burrowing away inside people's brains um, because that's what happened. I mean, she, people are horrified by her, but they can't help being attracted by her and they don't know why and who does know why, but she is such a, an enigma and, and generates such sort of ambivalence in people that I think that's one of the reasons why she perennially seems to come back and and they are all laboring under this misapprehension that they can get rid of her well they're quite wrong <laughs> they've they've unleashed a genie from a bottle and she's out there they're never going to get rid of her i want to i want to circle it, i i would suspect that part of the appeal of this character was the 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 approach that you had in playing the in playing her because you know, somebody else coming in and playing the Borg Queen would be, you know, bringing a completely different uh, aspect to it. Um, but your your embodiment and the character, I mean, I, I guess the 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 first word that comes to mind is seductive. She's and, and not so much from a sexual standpoint as just I'm I'm going to fulfill whatever your need and desire is. Whether that's you know you you know, being human for data or you know being part of a whole or some you know sense of belonging or whatnot, and a, a there's bit Mistopholian. I beg your pardon. Oh, uh, I was just going to say a bit Mistopholian. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and and the I guess this goes back to the psychology of it. We were when you first you put on the you put on the the costume and the makeup and the effects and the, and the prosthetics. And you've talked about how all of that makes the character. 
and you've yeah. done a number of period pieces. You've done you've done a lot of of things where I think costume probably plays into that as well. Is is that is that part of the process of getting into a role? I mean, you can you can go so far with the page, but then once you get into the to the hair and the makeup, does that make it easier to to get into that mindset for for what you have to do? Absolutely. Just just with regard to the ball queen, I I always say, and I and I absolutely believe this that it was a profoundly collaborative performance because what Scott Wheeler created with the look of her is inseparable from how the audience experiences her. You, yeah, I couldn't have rocked up and been the ball queen. That's the ball queen. Right. And that was such a gift from, from Scott Wheeler who created it and, and Todd Masters who built the suit. It, it, it was a, a true collaboration, really. But to, to, to return to the other point, yes, it, it, I love costume fittings because they are the first actual physical choice that you make. Um, you know, you've spent days, hours, whatever, talking to the director or working by yourself, but this is the first actual choice you get to make, unless you've been part of the process of prosthetics. Um, for example, I, I played the role of a Horaspex in a, a series called Carnival Row. And um, they started on the look of the character months before we, we started filming, like three, four months. I was flown out to meet hair and makeup. And these are highly creative individuals and they come with, with, with their imagination and, and everyone pools ideas and thoughts and it is so rich and you are given so much by the people you collaborate with. Um, and, and for me, because I seem to have been given of late lots of, of character roles, which is fabulous um, to be, you know, to be playing these really unusual out there individuals, but, but very often they have quite an extreme appearance and it's, it's actually very helpful. It's, it's part of a process of transformation. And you are so helped by it and you are given such rich input, usually from the people you're working with. I want to circle back real quick on something that you had mentioned uh, early on in our discussion with regard to She Will. And you talk about uh, having a Me Too movement, uh, a, a Me Too moment in there. And the psychology, like you're talking about, uh, you know, the arrogance of telling other people what to do and how to live and, and that sort of thing. And then the substrata of characters. I want to take those three elements here and I want to ask you, maybe not necessarily an awkward question, but in the wake of the Me Too thing, and we have a lot of online discussion back and forth, you have a lot of people that that are calling out uh, what's essentially 
known in in the vernacular as cancel culture, and you have a lot of people who are who are looking at things like Star Trek and Doctor Who and and Star Wars and and, and various different things coming out of Hollywood with the complaint that there's too much overt messaging and lecturing as opposed to let's tell a good story and then if there's any kind of a message it can be in that substrata in that subtext is is there anything that comes to mind when you start to approach these kinds of stories like she will in this is this is the story to entertain the audience where do we put, if we're going to put a message, is it important that it's out there front and center? Or does it work better to put it into the subtexts so it doesn't, you're not hitting people over the head with a baseball bat, as it were? Is that, does, that, does that ever come into play for you in considering how you play these roles? Um, you are very much um, the servant of the script. I, I always come with the intention of serving the story and serving the script. I mean, we're all there to, to tell the story. But I, 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 I do think that, that if, if the the story contains um, a point of view, contains a message. Um, I personally find it more compelling um, in terms of putting that before an audience if it's done through human experience. So rather than it's not a lecture theatre. Right. It's not someone at a podium presenting a lecture. It's, it's about what happens between human beings and what happens to human beings in various situations where one leads to another. And, and it is that, if you can tell the story, if the, the message... Is, is relayed through what happens to people. I just think it's an infinitely more engaging and potent way if you want to deliver a message, to deliver it. Right. Because personally, if, 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 if I feel as if I'm, my, my, my nose is being shoved into something, that there's an almost instinctive resistance to being told what to think and what to feel. I would rather come to that conclusion myself, what I feel about a certain situation or subject. Um, I'm very happy to be, to be engrossed in someone's journey into that um, and to arrive at a conclusion at the end, having lived through as a member of the audience, what, what they're going through. It, I think it's a much more potent way if you want to deliver a message to deliver it. Sure. Yeah. I just want to backtrack on something. I, 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 it was, I, I misspoke, I think. I don't mean that people who work in the field of psychotherapy are arrogant. 
Oh no, I didn't. It, I didn't take your no, meaning that way. But, I, no, great, because yeah. I I look back and think, wow, it wouldn't. It, it in the end, it wouldn't have worked because I never felt that I would reach a point where where I could be the one leading someone through a process of discovery um, to to bring them to a point where they could have a perspective on their own life and potentially make changes. Um, oddly enough, what I do do is play someone who goes through a process and arrives, hopefully, at a point of understanding so that they can change what doesn't work in their world. Um, and, and and speaking of of, of she will, um, that w- is what I found so engrossing because I was watching the film and we start out with one point of view of Veronica and and then based on her interactions with the various characters and what she's going through internally, um, given our sort of like visual cues. Um, of like the surgery and, and that sort of thing, we get to discover and go on this journey with Veronica's character um, into her sort of um, lowering of her walls and her, you know, sort of ultimate kind of redemption and, and transformation. Um, and I found that just so engrossing the way that all of those sort of quiet performances you had with with uh, Kota, uh, f- for example. You know, just the exchange of lines and everything. And there was just so much subtext underneath, which goes back to what you were mentioning before about you having your idea of what your character would be and how they would react. And then having to play against your other actors um, when you actually appear on set, you know, matter no matter how many backs, you know, much backstory you have and everything, and it's just a really, um, I, I'm using the word again, um, engrossing sort of uh, journey that this this uh, film takes you on, and and um, your performance uh, is uh, captivating. It's it's really interesting to watch because you you definitely. Um, begin at one point of view on this character and then uh, at the end you're like wait a second (laughs) and that there was so much more to this character um, as with uh, uh, Kota's performance and that um, and it was very interesting with with her performance because um, she really I mean she seemed like she was a bit a bit um, a bit harried, uh, a little bit agitated, um, but not really. She was just sort of kind of going through the motions, that sort of thing. This is what I will ha- I have to put up with, you know, because um, Veronica is, uh, you know, so esteemed, that sort of thing. Also a sick woman, you know, unhappy, yes. unwell, yeah. And, 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 and um, I, I, am, I understand both of those points, and I'm going to choose to be the caretaker in this situation. And um, that coupled with the uh, 
just the uh, production design and the cinematography really kind of drew you in uh, or, or drew myself in for for the 90 minutes it was a really really interesting film and and i i understand that uh it was um uh charlotte's debut film yes she'd made a couple of shorts but this was her first feature and i, I think a, a great accomplishment i really do um and i and i am so delighted that that you were engrossed by it um and and engaged and and perhaps we're still thinking about it a couple of days later yeah oh yes uh, definitely now um now i did notice something in the title of screen it said um of uh, dario uh, dario argento presents and i understand that he was uh, an executive uh, uh, producer um on on the film um, did he have a lot of like uh, back and forth with with Charlotte or um, uh, quite a bit of input or, or were you? No, she she obviously admired him greatly. And, and there are probably sort of passing homages to his work in the film. But it, it transpired that the very first festival um, she will be shown at or invited to was Locarno in 2021. And in fact, she won best first film at Locarno. Very well deserved. Um, but Dario Argento happened to be there. He actually had a film there, I think, but he was acting in a film there that was screening there. And he saw She Will and he, and he absolutely loved it. And he asked to meet Charlotte. Um, so the film was, it was complete. It was the film you see in the cinema or wherever you saw it. But he said, I, I really love this film and you are a first time filmmaker. Is there anything I can do to help you get attention? You know, get attention focused on the film. And, um, I suppose they all went back and forth. She and the and um, Jessica Malik, the producer, and Dario, and they came to the conclusion that if he came on board as um, an executive producer, essentially endorsing the film, lending um, some of his um, what's the right word to use? Street cred. His, I beg your pardon? Street cred? Reputation? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. His, 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 um, exactly. That's the word. It, it, that, that it would draw attention to the film and help it find an audience, help it get sold, help it get distributed. And I'm sure that it did. So it was, it was the gesture of, of one filmmaker very, very generously offering to support a young filmmaker. Well, you have been generous with your time. Uh, Alice Krieger, our guest today, what's next for you? Uh, you've got uh, IMDb lists a couple of things, but what's what's on your plate for projects? I'm, I'm producing two, um, two films, 
two features. They are um, very challenging, <laughs> very, very, um, each involves a huge journey in, in for, for the central characters and, and indeed for the audience. Um, one of them, the first of the two, I, I play one of the central characters. The second movie is um, set in New York in the 80s and um, has two amazing roles for um, sort of young actors in their 30s. Um, a, 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 an astonishing protagonist and an equally compelling antagonist. Um, it's a it's a true story. Um, so it, producing is is something that I've done before and that I actually find totally engrossing and um, very very exciting. But if you're going to, from my point of view, at any rate. It has to be a project that you are utterly devoted to and that you can continue to explore for the duration because you spend years. Um, you know, if, it, if, it's, if it's challenging, it's never particularly easy to finance a story that requires the audience to really step up to the plate and participate emotionally. Um, th those are never easy to finance um, and it takes a time and not only is it about production but it's post which is wildly exciting because the film starts to take its own life it, you know, it just starts to form its own personality and its own life um, and day by day you can see that like flower unfolding but then there's the sales and the marketing and the long, long afterlife. Um, it's a very uh, privileged thing to be able to do. Wish me luck. I'm not the sole producer. I have two fellow producers. But um, it's an exciting journey to be in the early stages of. Well, we're very much looking forward to the next thing that you've got out currently. Well, they're called, so I tell you, they're called Three Widows is the first one. Okay. And the second is Naked Abuse. So um, give us give us a couple of years and <laughs> maybe we'll be sitting right here talking about them. Well, we, uh, we will look forward to that. You've always got an open invitation to join us and come back. Thank you. The uh, current project, She Will, which is uh, streaming on Shudder, I believe, is what Christopher told me. So that is out currently right now. And uh, you can check that out. And uh, do you have any uh, online social media website, any place where people can follow you to, to see what's going on next? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very shy of it. It's, it's, I, I, it makes me very nervous. But I do have a Facebook page, which I don't often visit. And... Um, uh, uh, an Instagram page has been started. For you are me, but you are I'm, right I'm, to be I'm, wary. I will tell you that you are right to be wary of social media. <laughs> I've 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 recently got a bit hooked on Instagram because people put up the most wonderful videos of their dogs, <laughs> and they're irresistible. 
<laughs> I can spend 20 minutes looking at people's dog videos, but that's that's kind of as far as I, that's as deep as my, I've put my toe in the water is, is dog videos. <laughs> okay. All right. Alice Krieger, thank you very much for being here. I, I, I really appreciate it. I have it. so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for sticking with us this long. I know we've, uh, yes. we're past our, our usual hour, but it was well worth it. And, and again, we're, uh, we're on here Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can join us. And uh, of course, you can find all of our socials and whatnot in various different places, uh, the different social media platforms, the different video platforms. There's a newsletter you can sign up for and and uh, get in contact with us that way. In the meantime, feel free to check out any of the rest of the videos that we've got here. And uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, then you're welcome to join us on any of our video platforms and see our ugly mugs as we as we do this and have these conversations. And we'll do this again on Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern. And uh, that's going to do it for us, folks. Remember, there are four lights this has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2022 by flaming dog media llc all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media